Hello. Y'all hear me? Let's try that again. Hello. All right. I didn't know if we needed to do jumping jacks or something to get our blood pumping to wake up a little bit. Uh, I used to be a PE teacher. I did that for about 14 years before I got into administration. Um, when I went to college, there was two things that I wasn't going to be when I went to college. I didn't really know what I wanted to be, but I knew what I didn't want to be. I grew up the son of a preacher, so I knew I didn't want to be in ministry, and I knew I didn't want to be a school teacher. God has a sense of humor. I've been in education now. This is my 18th year, and I have been in ministry for 17 years. I worked at the East Walker Congregation uh, in Summerton in Walker County for 10 and a half years, and I've been at 6th Avenue, where Chuck was. Uh, I've been there for, we're in our 7th year there. So it is a blessing for sure. God said, hey, I need you here, and I said, let's go. And so I'm so honored to be here uh, to speak to you tonight. I'm so glad that Daryl allowed me the opportunity to be here. I don't deserve it. Um, matter of fact, there are many people here that I went to college with, graduated high school with, uh, just know from different areas of life. And if you talk to them, first of all, don't believe anything they say about me, but they would probably say themselves, wow, I can't believe Jonathan is standing up there on stage speaking. And that in part is not for me to brag on myself. As a matter of fact, it's a little embarrassing to say that. But God does restore us when we ask. God does use us in the way that he sees fit. We sing that song as the invitation while ago, In Need. One of my favorite songs. As a matter of fact, uh, I have a, a song put together with that song that I've shared with Daryl. Uh, maybe he can teach that to you later, but we use that song mixed with another song. Um, and it's talking about the idea of needing God, needing Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about for a few moments this evening. I would guess that you are considering yourself a pretty good judge of character. I mean, you young people have to choose every day who you're going to hang out with, who's going to be your friends, who you're going to be friends with, who you're going to be acquaintances with, and who's going to be in your circle of friends. So you have to be a pretty good judge of character, wouldn't you say so? I would hope so. We're going to talk about two guys tonight. And I want to see where our judgment lands on these two guys. The first guy, he came from a family that had money. Very well off. He never lacked for anything. Anything that he wanted, he probably had at his hand. He was brought up in a spiritual family, a family that encouraged him. They held him accountable. He obeyed his parents. Everything they asked him to do, he did. He was a guy that mom and dad wouldn't mind if you brought home. Guys, if you wanted this guy to come over and shoot some basketball and eat some pizza and spend the night, mom and dad would say, sure, he's a good guy. We'll let him come over. You know those people, parents. You also know those people that you would say, no way. Can y'all hear me okay? Okay. I didn't get the response I wanted, so I was making sure. Okay, That's how that works. Chad, how you doing, buddy? Just seeing you there. Girls, if you were to bring this guy home, mom and dad would be happy that you're dating this guy. He's upright. He does the things that he's supposed to do. His family is, is teaching him and bringing him up in the way that they should. He probably had all the friends that he wanted. A very popular guy. 
Matter of fact, if you were to go hang out with him, he'd probably take care of everything for you. Very polite, respectful, he was eager. And by his account, that means if you asked him, he had everything he needed. He had everything he needed. Is this somebody that you would want to be friends with, young people? You said you were a pretty good judge of character. Is this somebody that you would want to be friends with? We do our head like this, right? Yes. This guy's got it together. Turn over, if you will, in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 19. Let me introduce you to this man. You know him. You've heard about him many times. We refer to him as the rich young ruler. In Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 16, he says, And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I've kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You see, this is somebody that we would choose to be friends with. This is someone that we would say, Man, He's got it all together. He's got everything that he needs. In a parallel account in Mark, we're told that the rich young man came running up to Christ. He knelt before him in Mark 10, verse 17, indicating that there was urgency and there was respect. He's shown submissiveness, a willingness to be taught when he addressed Jesus as the good teacher. This was not a typical form of a way to address someone for the Jews at this time. It was a very respectful greeting, one of the most respectful to be found in the Bible, as a matter of fact, when he calls him good teacher. But Christ's response to him is very interesting. He establishes first that there's none good but God. All the glory goes to him. Jesus tells him, keep the commandments. But you notice he specifically lists the last six of the Ten Commandments. Not the first four. He lists the last six. And the reason why is the last six have to do with people dealing with people. The first four have to do with that relationship with God. And so we understand that they were well versed, the Jews were, in the mechanics of the first four commandments. In terms of the letter of the law. So Christ knew what would be his weakness. The way that he dealt with other people. But remember, young people, you said this was somebody you would pick as your friend. Somebody that you would take home with you. The young ruler tells Christ that he's kept the commandments since he was a child. What else should he do? And Jesus doesn't try to contradict him here. In Mark's account, it says that he looked on him and he loved him. Is what Mark says. He might have been inept in keeping the letter of the law, but he was missing the spirit of the law. He might have been absolutely sincere in what he was saying, but whatever the case was, Christ doesn't attempt to argue with him about it. The way the young man phrased the question 
what do I still lack? Almost smacks a little bit of pride. A little bit of self-righteousness in a way. He says, I'm keeping the commandments. I've done good with that all my life. I honor my parents. I do what they say. He says, what else do I lack? Show me where I'm coming up short, Jesus. You see, in his life, maybe in those places, in areas in life where he was coming up short, whatever it may be, whether it was work, whether it was his friends, whether it was school, maybe because of his position, his power, his money, he was able to get things done. Maybe he bought things when nobody else could get them. Maybe he used the power that he had of being a ruler to influence people, to do things for him. Maybe he thought Jesus was just like everybody else. Maybe he thought, Jesus, I got some power here. I got a little influence. I got some money if you need that. Maybe he thought he could pay for it. But Jesus says, go sell all your possessions. Give the money away to the poor. Follow me as a disciple. When you think about that idea, when he says, take and sell what you have and give to the poor, it kind of says that he wasn't taking care of those in his community. He wasn't loving his neighbor like himself, was he? Go and give to your neighbors. They're in need. Yet the young ruler was unwilling to do this. His treasure was on earth. His money had a stronger tug on him, on his heart, than Jesus did. What did he possess? What did he possess that had such a hold on him? to make him willing to walk away from eternal life. If I were to ask every one of you tonight, is there anything in this world you would give in exchange for heaven? Is there anything in this world that you want to hold on to if you knew it would cost you heaven? Every one of us would say, absolutely not, Jonathan. There's not a thing in this world that I would want to hold on to. But yet we live our lives in a way that say otherwise. We live our lives in a way that says, I want to be popular. I want to be rich. I want money. I want power and prestige. I want a position where people look up to me and they're intimidated. We live our lives thinking, well, I've cashed in on my Sunday morning church card, punched my time clock. I'm good for the week. And we live our lives however we want to live when we leave this place. Let me put it in our terms. Something we can relate to. Maybe this guy had a giant game room. And it had some pinball. Some Pac-Man. It had some Xboxes with some Fortnite. On giant 90 90 inch screen plasma 4K TVs. He had the newest cars, the greatest SUVs, the biggest houses in the nicest areas of the world. Maybe that's what he had. But whatever it was, it was so much that he couldn't follow Jesus. How many of us find comfort in the things that we own. 
in our possessions, in our luxurious lifestyles. How many of us have nice houses more than we need? How many of us have nice cars with a big lofty car payment more than what we need to drive around? You know, I always say, man, I need a new truck. I need a new truck. There's nothing wrong with mine. As a matter of fact, mine's paid for. I can say I need a new truck, but I don't need a car payment. How many of us can say that? We have to understand what it is that God wants us do, to do with the things that we have. But what we understand is what is a need and what's a want. How many of us have everything that we need concerning our possessions? How many of us have everything that we need concerning our possessions? Not everything that we want. You see, I, I want a new boat. If I get it, I don't know. I don't need it. And I can make up excuses and say, you know what? If, if Jennifer, if you'll let me buy this boat... That's my wife, by the way, Jennifer. If you let me buy this boat, then we as a family can spend more time together. We spend a lot of time together anyway. It's usually at the baseball field, the basketball court. I have three boys, by the way, that are here. We spend time together in those ways. We spend time together in church. Do we need to spend more time together? Yes. But a boat's not going to make that happen. Matthew 6 and verse 33. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, He says, You wonder where you're going to get food. You wonder where you're going to get clothing. He says, Are you not greater than the lilies of the field and the birds of the air? God takes care of them. He says, If you want everything you need when it comes to possessions, Matthew 6 verse 33, you all know it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. He says, you want to be taken care of, seek God first. Be right in the sight of God. He will provide your needs. Everything that this man ever wanted in life, he was able to purchase. But he couldn't purchase eternal life. And he walked away sorrowful. A man with so many friends, so many possessions... That day walked away sad, but he never realized he was in need of something that money couldn't buy. He wanted it, but he didn't realize he needed it. Guy number two. This was a guy that was born into a spiritual family. His family was so spiritual, in fact, that they named him Pure. His name was Pure or Righteous. They probably taught him about God and Scripture as he's growing up. They probably loved him and provided for him the best that they could, even though probably they weren't rich. But he began to grow up. And he was kind of an outcast, a loner. And people made fun of him. They picked on him. And as he became older, he had to make a decision. Do I stay with my family or do I follow a career? 
This career could mean big money. So he left the family and followed the job. And because of the job, he had to leave the faith to go after these riches and power that would come. Probably had no friends, very lonely guy. He became wealthy and well-known, but not a man of good reputation. He was cunning, lying, a cheat, not someone that your parents would want you to bring home. By his account, he didn't have everything that he needed, and he wanted more. Matter of fact, if you are to go out as friends, he had money in his pocket, but he would expect you to pay for it. Young people, how many of you would choose this friend to come home with you? We wouldn't do it, would we? Not this guy. We wouldn't want to choose this guy. Let me introduce you to him. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. He was a wee little man. For all you Faulkner people, that's not Brian Gill. <clears throat> I would say that if Brian Gill was here, by the way. I talked Brian Gill into being Zacchaeus at VBS one year. <clears throat> Our friend Brian's about this tall. Chapter 19 of Luke says, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. He was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on the account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'll restore it fourfold. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You see, this Zacchaeus probably had what we call little man syndrome, the Napoleon complex. He felt insecure about his size and therefore he had to prove just how tough he was. And because of his height or lack of it, probably got made of fun of at school. He probably was someone that had to be in a lot of fights or else he just stayed away from everyone. He was a loner. He didn't really sit with anybody at lunch, probably kind of dressed a little different. We didn't know a whole lot about him. Some of you may be like that. Some of your friends may be like that. Some people at your school may be like that. What do we do? Do we just leave them alone? Do we say, hey, you know what? They're a little strange. I'm not going to go over there and talk to them. They want to be loners. They want to dress different, be different. They can be different. I'm not going to go talk to them. Because if I did, they probably wouldn't care what I had to say anyway. But because he was made fun of and he was hurt so many times, he probably had to build these walls up to protect himself. Behind these walls was a desperate, lonely, self-loathing, hating man who wanted nothing more than to be loved and accepted and understood. How many of us can relate to that? 
So one night, the Roman occupation came to Zacchaeus with an offer. An offer to be somebody. A job offer as a tax man. Matter of fact, it says in verse 2 that he was chief tax collector. He now could be somebody. As a tax collector, he'd bid on this job. And he would pay Rome a certain amount for his territory. And then, of course, anything that he taxed over would be his. That would be his profit, his salary. And he became rich from overtaxing these people, for lying to him. He would have to rob, he'd have to cheat, he'd have to steal from many people. He had to give up his religion because he would be no longer welcome in the temple as a tax collector. He'd be hated, truly hated, shunned and misunderstood. But you know what? He'd be rich. He had some power. He'd have something. But his power and his money didn't make him feel any better about his life. He still remembered that love that his parents maybe showed him when he was a child. And the teachings that they told him about God and the prophets. He knew he wasn't being the person that God created him to be or the person he was really capable of being. So Zacchaeus became desperate. He was desperate for Jesus. Here we have Zacchaeus, he's rich, he's lonely, he's hated. But he understands something is missing. Something very important is missing in his life. He needed this fulfilling in his life. And that person was Jesus. No doubt Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus. He probably heard what people were saying everywhere about him. This man welcomes sinners to eat with him. After Jesus goes in and he eats with these sinners, something happens, something changes. When they come out, they're different. So when Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming through Jericho and the path that he would be going, he said he ran ahead and he climbed up in this sycamore fig tree. Sycamore fig tree is a little different than our sycamore tree. It's kind of a bushy uh, tree. It's, uh, it, would, it would kind of be difficult to climb because it doesn't have the, just a big trunk like trees around here. Kind of a bush. And it would be real, depending on the time of year, real leafy. Matter of fact, Zacchaeus could probably get in the tree being so small and hide and not be seen in this tree. He's just wanting to see Jesus. He's wanting to see who he is. He didn't realize that Jesus was going to call him out. But Jesus calls him by name. Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house to eat today. You notice the text says that Jesus was passing through Jericho. He wasn't planning on stopping. He was passing through. But he saw a man in need. And he saw a man who is desperately in need. And he stops. And he eats with him. He knew everything there was to know about Zacchaeus. He knew that he was a lost sheep. He knew that he was not living the kind of life that God had planned for him. 
He knew he was an outcast. He was lonely. He was a hated man. But he knew he was searching. He knew he was desperate. It changed Zacchaeus. In the text, Zacchaeus admits that he had been robbing the poor and promised to give half his goods to the poor and restore fourfold to those that he had falsely taxed. This was a man who had no friends. A guy that you wouldn't have took home with you. He went away with joy in his heart because his need was fulfilled. See, we have to understand that unless we become desperate for a need and we're willing to commit to it, then it's merely a wish. Let me say that again. We have to understand that unless we become desperate for a need and committed to it, then it's merely a wish. I was talking to Daryl earlier, and I said, you know, I know I need to lose a little bit of weight, okay? I'm as heavy as I've ever been in my life. But I'm not desperate yet. Because my clothes, they, they still fit. A little tighter, but they still fit. Chuck, I'll tell you the secret. Stretchy pants. They're a little tighter. But I'm not desperate yet to buy new clothes. My health isn't as great as it's ever been, but it's not too bad yet. My wife keeps trying to tell me, you need to go to the doctor. You need to get your heart checked out. Because I eat whatever I want to eat. But I'm 40 years old. And I've got heart disease in my family. My dad, who's had a quadruple bypass. Uh, my brother at 30... Six years old, had a stroke. I have heart disease that runs in my family. And my wife keeps saying, you need to go to the doctor. You probably need to lose some weight and get checked out. But if I go to the doctor, I may become desperate. He may say, if you don't change the way that you eat, if you don't change the way that you exercise, if you don't lose a little bit of weight, you're going to die. If he said that to you, what would you do? We change the way we eat. We change the way we exercise. We lose a little bit of weight. Why? Because we become desperate. We need to be desperate for what Jesus has to offer. Because without it, we can't get to heaven. We can't get to heaven if we don't have what Jesus has to offer. David writes in Psalm 42, As the deer thirst or pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. Have you ever been dehydrated? I mean, have you ever been dehydrated? A few of you? You ever been thirsty? It's a difference, right? We say, oh, I need something to drink. I am thirsting to death. I used to coach high school football. In the summertime in workouts, we would take these athletes in in the morning and we would weigh them. 
at the end of practice, we would weigh them again. And if they were anywhere from zero to three pound loss, they were good to go home. If they were from three to five pounds, they had to sit there and drink so much liquid, uh, Pedialyte, Gatorade, something like that to replenish the fluids they had lost in their body. If they were over five pounds, it was an emergency. We had a kid come in one day, and he weighed, and he, he was a very fit kid. As a matter of fact, he was a high school state champion wrestler, so he didn't have much body fat on him anyway. And he came in, and he weighed eight pounds less in a two-hour practice. I need that dot. Eight pounds of fluid. He began, began to go in and out of consciousness. He couldn't talk. His words began to slur. Luckily, his mother was a nurse and his dad was a doctor. And his mom was there that day. She was the one that helped us weigh in. So she didn't panic like I did. And we took care of this kid. He had a desperate need. When you're thirsty... My kid on the way up here, he's like, we stopped and got some gas. He's like, Dad, can we go in and get something to drink? I was like, no. He's like, well, I'm thirsty. <laughs> okay. They got a water fountain at the church. Y'all got a water fountain, right? Okay. <laughs> See, I'm not a liar, son. They got a water fountain. He wasn't in a desperate need. But you see, when the deer thirsts and it pants for the water, it has to have it. And David says, my soul longs for God because I've got to have Him. I can't live without Him. I'm in a desperate need. You may know. You've probably been in church enough that you know what all the Scripture says. It's going to say that Jesus is returning to this earth one day. Not to step foot on the earth, but He's going to ascend in the clouds and He's going to call us to Him. This earth's going to be burned up, and we don't know when that time's going to be. You've heard that. I hope you believe that. But just because you've heard it, just because you believe it to be true, doesn't mean you live your life in a desperate way as if it's going to happen. So many times we want to say, yeah, I know it's going to happen because it's in the Bible. But I doubt it's going to happen while I'm alive. Because it hadn't happened yet. Yeah, I believe it's there. I know Jesus is coming back. But we live our life knowing we have a need, but never doing anything about it because we never become desperate for that need. You see, when we have to say that we're desperate for a need, that causes us to be humble. It causes us to take our pride and lay it aside and say that we cannot get to heaven without what Jesus has to offer. That song that we sung, the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness, we've got to have them. We're in a desperate need. We've got to have them. If not, we're carrying all that around for ourselves. We're carrying the weight of our sins. Jesus wants to carry that for you. He wants you to lay it down. To pick up His yoke. 
But until we become desperate and we realize that that's what we have to have, we're never going to get it. And the way that we get this grace and this mercy, this forgiveness that Jesus has to offer is when we come into contact with that blood. We come into contact with that blood through the waters of baptism, the Bible tells us. And we, when we come into contact with that blood, it's ever flowing. It's ever cleansing to us when we ask for forgiveness. Because you're going to mess up, young people. You're going to mess up. After you make your commitment to God and you say, God, I'm going to live for you. And I'm going to be yours. Guess what? You're still going to mess up. Like I asked my Bible class this morning, raise your hand if, if you've killed anybody. Nobody raised their hand. I was glad. Nobody raised their hand. But the Bible tells us that the man after God's own heart, he did. He had killed somebody. But God says, I can forgive you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've said or thought, God can forgive you. But it never happens unless we realize we're in desperate need of a Savior. In Luke chapter 16, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man, after he dies, and he goes into purgatory, and he sees Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham, and he says, if you can just take your finger and dip it in some water and touch my tongue, that, that'll help. The rich man was in a desperate situation. He had a desperate need. But he says, there's a great gulf between us. Where I am, you cannot come to. And where you are, I cannot come to you. There's going to be a desperate need one day for all of us. But when death occurs, it's too late. The need is now. Are you desperate for what Jesus has to offer? Because you can't get to heaven without it. Faith is not having Jesus and then getting everything that you want. Faith is loving Jesus and never needing anything else. Are you desperate? For Jesus tonight. Do we have an invitation on this, Daryl? No. Young people, if, if you are desperate for Jesus and you need to make things right, I know there are people here that will pray with you, that will pray for you, your youth ministers that are here with you. Adults, if, if you need to be desperate for Jesus tonight, there are people here willing to do the same thing for you. Let's get together and talk. Because we all are in need of a Savior. Let's pray together. Father God, we are so in need of your love, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. And Father, you provided that for us through your Son, Jesus. You gave us the absolute best that heaven had to offer. Father, help us to be desperate for that need. Help us to never depend upon our own abilities, 
our possessions, our positions. Father, help us to depend upon you. Help us to humble ourselves, Father. Help us to kneel before your throne so that one day we can stand in your presence. Father, if there are any here tonight that are in need of you, and Father, they haven't made the change, they haven't made the decision to put you on in baptism, Father, they've lived a life that is contrary to your word, Father, we pray tonight they understand their desperate situation. Father, and that they make that change before it's too late. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the encouragement that the church brings, Father, and we're so glad to be a part of it. Father, help us to continue to do things according to your will, according to your word, and help us to share the love, the mercy, and the grace that you have shown us to others so they may come to know you, and so eternity can be ours together. Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.